you know. I've always been more attracted to hunting style guns. So I have a 30 6 as well. Yeah. I also have a 12 gauge too. I, I don't know, with the direction America seems to go, I feel like I should probably get some sort of carry on. Or not carry on. <laughs> yeah, let's get, let's get your carry-on. Concealed, concealed carry Check baggage is just not enough anymore. Yeah. Well, that, that's the thing, you know, especially... And this is where the debate comes in, you know, as as Christians. And, uh, you know, because as Americans, we certainly have the right to defend ourselves. But as Christians, you know, what what sort of moral implications do, does that right hold? That's where it gets interesting. With our faith, yeah. Yeah. It, it is. I'm, I'm like... I'm pretty much a pacifist when it comes to that stuff. And that, I think it partly comes from my dad. Um, Do you own a gun, No. No, and I don't intend to. Um, mm-hmm. No, I was I was super into him growing up, um, which is why I know a lot of the lingo. And, right, right. Um, Are you and, recording right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's recording. Oh, no, oh, yeah, it's been recording record. for 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. So, but I can cut any of this out if we want to. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Should we just open the podcast and start? Like... Uh, oh, I forgot our script. Uh-oh. Hold on, Uh-oh. I gotta get the script. Hold on. Yeah. Um, mm. Welcome to the Triclinium, a podcast named after the three-sided table used in the Lord's Supper, where you're invited to join the three of us as we think through matters of Christian faith, practice, and community. My name is Jacob, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Nate and Eric, and we're actually in the same place, which is awesome. We're Woo! in my, my, uh, my grandpa's... Merry, yes. Merry freaking Christmas to you all. It's a Christmas miracle for yeah. the Triclinium podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so we're hanging out, we're having fun, we're talking, and uh, I thought we'd record a podcast. This is going to be, I think, our 20th podcast, which is kind of fun that it's like, you know, around uh, number. Oh, it was the 25th. I know, I know. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, currently it's the 26th of December, so the day after Christmas. We, we should have slacked it. so much. I know, I know. Um, but anyway, so, and we thought, we thought we'd bring a nice, cheerful conversation to oh, the gosh. table um, about Christians and firearms and what our, <laughs> what our, what our approach to firearms should be. Um, I'm recording on a new mic, uh, so hopefully the audio is clear. I'll ask the two of you to speak up as you talk, just so that we make sure that we can we can gather all of it because we're using only one microphone. Um, but man, I'm I'm glad to be here with you guys. So um, likewise. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll probably clip in a little bit of the conversation that we were having before because because Nate and Eric were bringing up their their kind of histories, their pasts with them um, with firearms and their family traditions around it. Um, and it was some good stuff, so I'll see if I can clip that in. But what happened he, to not outing anybody? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, but like as a brief recap, you guys have both had some experience in your family histories, and and like you yourselves each own firearms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, what first got you guys into into firearms? Like, you know, at what age did you start getting you know interested in it? And, you know, around what? Yeah, um, I I don't even know if I could say an age because they were always around. Mm-hmm. When I was, I, mm. I've hunted since I could walk. So <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah. Um, that's like three, right? Two or three? That's what? That's like two years old. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. When I was <laughs> out there with a gun, <laughs> two years old. <laughs> when I was two, <laughs> yeah, a wooden, son, yeah. No joke, a wooden one. Yeah. Oh but, my uh, gosh, a wooden one. firearm. Like a wooden, what yeah, like my grandpa like cut me out like a, a little like fake wooden. Oh, a fake, okay, oh, that's right. nice. Yeah. I, thought, I thought you were talking like a Woodstock rifle. Yeah. <laughs> like what? But yeah, because I wanted to, 
I wanted to be like my dad, sure. like my grandpa, sure. you know. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, but yeah, ever since I was a little boy, yeah, I've always been around firearms because I've always hunted with my family. Mm. So, I yeah, I don't even know if I have an age. I guess two or three is probably fine. Of course, mm. I wasn't like walking long distances, like right. actually hunting at that age, but um, right. You're not in the Appalachian Mountains. Yeah, so uh, for me, guns guns were never like a, a problem. They were just, or something that was controversial in my mind ever. Uh, it always was just there. And, right. you know, dad does it, so <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. So yeah, I've, n- I've never personally had a problem with guns. Um, I think this conversation will be inter- interesting because I don't think I've, considered like super strongly other positions on Mm -hmm. whether or not Mm -hmm. uh christians should own them uh obviously this conversation will get into self-defense and things like that right Um, right yeah so yeah that's kind of my background with guns uh i've always you know since i had the ability i've shot guns Mm -hmm. myself um like you said i own guns personally now so yeah, that's that's kind of my background, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. With them, is yeah, they were, they were just there always, and I've always yeah. used them. Not well, yeah, used them. So yeah, right. Yeah, I have a similar story. So both my uh, grandparents were in the military, uh, both in the Navy, I believe. And um, when they got out of the Navy, uh, both of them hunted for sport, um, you know, in order to uh, bring home food on the table. Mm. And so, you know, they were very familiar with firearms in the military and just in personal life. Mm-hmm. And both of them actually grew up hunting. Um, my my grandpa on my mother's side grew up in a very, uh, very poor family. And so, you know, they had to bring in uh, food in different ways. I think he was one of 13 children. Mm. And, um, uh, and my other grandpa also had to, you know, he grew up like, well... If we don't kill, we don't eat, basically. Mm. So they're very familiar with firearms, and uh, going into the military just reinforced that. Um, and then afterwards, both of them started, they, they both have a, an extensive firearm collection. And uh, my uh, grandpa that lived near me on my mother's side, uh, he had some property in the area around us. And so I remember vividly him driving me and my cousin down to Bymart when I was probably like, Eight, mm-hmm. and he bought me my first BB gun. Oh, and nice. so me and my cousin, we would go around the, the property. Uh huh. The pump, yeah, the air yeah. pump. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we would go around the property, and we would shoot cans, and we'd shoot trees, and we mm-hmm. we'd shoot whatever we want, you know. Squirrels. But but <laughs> we weren't allowed to shoot uh, my grandpa's squirrels and birds because he liked having them around, you know. Uh, so, so we weren't allowed to kill any birds. When you say having them around, so that he could shoot them, or no, so no, that no, he no. Could just as like a, a yeah, landscape. Feeder. Yeah, yeah. No. Nice. Okay, that's good. yeah. Just because birds were a part of nature, and he he very much so respected. He had a kind of a sanctuary there. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So and. You know, when you step back and look at the whole ecosystem, you know, you see how uh, intricate it is and how necessary each and every part from from worms to wolves. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I just grew up, you know, uh, worked my way up from my BB gun all the way up. Did you say from, from worms to wolves? Yeah. That's a great, that would be like a good name of a book, right? From, from worms to wolves. Biology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. That'd be a good, like, children's book. Right. Detailing, yeah. like, the food chain Sorry, and just, the animal kingdom. Yeah. yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, just, no. I was like, that's kind of 
of neat. Okay, okay. nobody take that idea. That's all. Patent pending. Copyright. So yeah, you know, I, I eventually graduated from my BB gun up through shotguns and rifles and all that. It, you know, like Eric, it was just a part of life, you know. It's, uh, and then eventually got my own rifle and spent some time out in the woods walking around uh, trying to hunt. Never never successfully hunted, but, uh, you know, we definitely tried our tried our best at it. And, yeah, I mean... Still never successfully? No, because I, I haven't found an area yet to hunt in Dallas. I would love to go hunting and, and actually, you know, take a deer. Um, just, just for even my own... Have you taken one here, though? No, I haven't. Oh. No, I do might, you, do I you might have to fix that. I would love that, Eric. That would be amazing. <laughs> the next time that the Triclidium boys are all together, yeah, yeah. yeah. hunting trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're looking at a deer now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bring my mic with us. <laughs> what do you think about Tom's? Oh, shoot it! Shoot it! <laughs> Take the shot. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I guess you know. So both grandpas, they always had. So so then, on my other grandpa's side, going to the range was always kind of a, a family event, you know, going out and trying the different uh, pistols and rifles and whatnot, and, mm-hmm. you know, from from 22s up through whatever I could handle. Um, and my grandpa has uh, a historical collection as well. I think that he has a Civil War-era musket. Oh, wow. Um, an original, too. So it's, yeah. not a, it's not a copy. Mm. So, you know, I... I guess I got kind of my reverence and, and respect for firearms from my grandpas. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Because they, they saw them as tools, you know, not, not right. as just horrible killing machines, but as a, as a thing to be used for a greater good, whether that's, yeah. you know, in order to put food on the table for your family or to defend your family and yourself from yeah. whatever it may be. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think that kind of springs boards two things. I have two questions coming mm-hmm. from there that I think can get the conversation open yeah so number one like i kind of mentioned is i think when we talk about guns we have to talk about self-defense but then the other side of that is like even if we were saying that you can't use guns for self-defense does that mean guns shouldn't exist from the christian perspective at all meaning uh take nate's grandparents for example like is it cool for a christian to own a gun for the purpose of uh hunting for literally providing for one's yeah. family. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like, it'd be a pretty extreme case for somebody to say Correct. something like not only should Christians like not be into self-defense, but they shouldn't own guns at all ever. Like yeah. in any case, well, that would be, that would be a pretty extreme. I feel like that's the, it's a good line to draw. Right. right? Like, okay. This is, this I, is, I feel like that crazy. would be the extreme pacifist version yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, Jacob, you mentioned, Previously, that you are a pacifist. Well, would you call yourself a pacifist? I would say I'm. I'm a nuanced pacifist. Okay. So I'm. It's not legalistic, but it's yeah. I yeah. I lean that way. I kind of want to go the the self defense route first because you you piqued my curiosity sure. earlier. So mm-hmm. yeah. So biblically speaking, when we're thinking about self defense, I think for most people, the passage in I think it's in a couple of the gospel accounts where. Um, actually, no, I think it's in all of the gospel accounts, if I remember right. Um, it's revealed in, I want to say it's Luke, that Peter cuts off the ear. Um, oh, yes. Of Take to yourselves two swords. Yeah, go and, take, go and buy two swords, mm, right? Correct. Yeah, Jesus, um, 
urges the the disciples to buy two swords, seemingly for the purpose of self-defense. But mm. I, was, I actually was referencing just beyond that, where Peter cuts off the ear of yeah. uh, folks who are coming to arrest Christ and uh, came in the night, a big mob, big crowd, and, and it's... <clears throat> It, which side note is strange that like some of the gospels like mask who that person was they don't say his name but then yeah. one of them say it's Peter cuts yeah. off the yeah. the ear of a impending attacker I guess you could say yeah, so the high priest servant. so yeah I just wanted to bring that up and get your thoughts on it um, yeah since I think it's relevant to the conversation um, yeah I, well I think um, when we think of self defense um. I think it. I think it's unwise to create a rule around it, um, because no rule can encapsulate the complexity of a situation. Um, so, like, I think, like one of the one of the best examples of this is like, Bonhoeffer was a. I think maybe not a pacifist, like a full on pacifist, but he he definitely saw killing another human being as like almost always morally wrong. Mm -hmm. Yet he was willing to aid a plot to assassinate Hitler. He himself was never going to be the one to pull the trigger or do anything like that, but he, he at least was willing to aid the, the, the rebellion, right? That would have probably, that like the end would have hopefully been the death of Hitler, right? Right, the analogy would probably be like, he, he put the gun in somebody else's hand. Yeah, yeah, and even he, looser he than that, but it, yes, so yeah. Definitely, and, yeah. and that's the boiled down version, but you know, he was, Aiding that process. Yes. I don't and he to, had to walk through that. I don't want to get too far off the that topic. Just, I want to ask a quick sidebar question. Sure. Do you think Bonhoeffer actively thought about that? That he was aiding the death of Hitler? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I think so. Yeah. I haven't read much Bonhoeffer, so... Yeah, no, The way I, he talks about it, yeah. the, the, the duty that he saw that he had, you know, because he, he, he came to America and studied with... I think he was in a monastery, wasn't he? Um... No, he he studied at Union in New York, I believe. Though though that's that period of his life, I I, I read the biography and it's just been a long time. Well, uh, yeah, and, and I think the reason why I remember it that way is because I remember it being a, a pivotal point because I think that there were so many in his life, and he was considering the becoming full on uh, pacifist, but he saw what was happening to uh, people in Europe, uh, okay. and so it it. It was a, an extreme dichotomy for him. Yeah. For, you know, do I go and help aid this, right. this you know, uh, act of violence almost, mm -hmm. or do I reject that and become, you know, yeah. peaceful beyond all means or beyond you know, right to the core. Right. And 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 regardless of whether or not that was like a, a pronounced you know like, you know, a, a recorded thing for him. Because I know that Metaxas, you probably read Metaxas's biography, yeah? I believe so, yeah. Metaxas, uh, let's say, he stretches the truth in some certain areas yeah. around the biography. He's been he's been lambasted by Bonhoeffer scholars because of that. But that, that's all besides the point. Um, regardless of how recorded that was, you have to believe that somebody who wrote an entire book on ethics has had some, you know, question marks around his, his willingness. Especially, I think, his willingness to lie, because there was a lot of lying that was going on, mm -hmm. because... He was trying to maintain that he was pro uh, the Reich, right, the Third Reich, mm -hmm. and and or at least not like horribly opposed to it, so that he could get deeper into the mm -hmm. into the regime. So, anyways, um, 
But I gotta read some Bonhoeffer, man. Oh, dude, oh, yes. So good. When you're when you're ready, hit well, me we up. We read a bit for but not just Christ Life Together. Yeah. yeah, we read Life Together. Yeah, but not just Life Together. His other, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. the Sauce. cost of discipleship. That's too. It's yeah. excellent. It's one of the best books I've read. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. I saw it on the shelves. Costly Grace. The yeah. idea of costly grace was, you know, that 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 was changed how I viewed it. That was a different Anderson class. That yeah. costly grace we had to read, correct? Well, oh yeah, there's well, like a chapter like, for it. Yeah, yeah the, the mm-hmm. book was the cost of discipleship by Bonhoeffer. Oh, that's right. So, yeah. but the idea of costly grace it's comes in the from first, that. Yeah, yeah a couple yeah, chapters. Yeah. Right. But the um, the funny thing is that Bonhoeffer then about like I know this is we're on a rabbit trail. We've got me talking about Bonhoeffer now. I'm all excited. Um, he goes on to say that the cost of discipleship was like a, basically a, a, a futile exercise of, of trying to become righteous and by his own eyes. And he like goes on to basically disavow the word. So if you read ethics, that's his like later take on on how to live as a responsible Christian. Um, it's a very fascinating approach to to morality. But but and actually it'll come up as we talk about this conversation because that's informed me. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he is amazing. I'd have to go and find my sources again for that. I'd like to go and read some more biographies before I would be ready to right. talk again. Because anyways, but let's go back. Let's go back. So um. Uh, so in that case, I think almost everybody would say, you know, whether or not you believe that Bonhoeffer was right or wrong in, in, in allowing himself to go that far, it's understandable that he would take that approach, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's gut-level understandable, right? Mm-hmm. And so I right. think to say... Just to clarify what approach? Uh, the the willingness to aid uh, okay. an attempt I, to... Yeah, and I think to elaborate just a bit more on that, it's like, as humans... I think we can sympathize with Bonhoeffer in that situation because if we were faced with the same evil, we I think that we would justify our own action against right. that evil as well. So right. we, we, we can sympathize with him in that we understand why he did what he did. Yeah. Is that what, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 absolutely. So the sympathy tells us, I think, that there's at least some sort of, some sort of our ideal in our head that... that Bonhoeffer would have met, which is the protection of the Jews, right? Um, and I think that that's worth thinking about. I don't know that that is the only factor that we should consider. And that's where I would say there are times where I think self-defense is not um, is not the ethical move. And I think there are times where self-defense is the ethical move. Mm-hmm. And I think it, I really do think it boils down to the to our best judgment, whether or not we believe that if we were in their shoes, and this is going to get complicated, if we were in their shoes, if we were committing the evil that this person was about to commit, would it be better for us to die or for us to be given a chance again? And I think in most cases, that means, like, so, for instance, someone breaks into your home and you're not sure that they're there for violent means, right, for any violent purpose. In that case, I would say, there's some people that would say, your property, your home, you don't know what's going on with that person, shoot, right? Um, Now, that's a pretty extreme position in and of itself. However, I would say in that case, you might think to yourself, this this is just some kid that doesn't know what they're doing, right? And if I was in this person's shoes, I would want to be given a second chance. If I was committing a genocide, though, like knowing what I know now, knowing Christ, if I was committing a genocide... I would want someone to stop me by any means necessary. So that's where it gets into like, this is where you have to use judgment and discernment and 
Yeah. And it's and the sad thing about self-defense is in a lot of cases, it's such a quick judgment that has to be made that you can't necessarily go through all of the logic. So it, right. that's where the sympathy comes right. back in of like, listen, if my if I let's say I have a wife and kids and someone busts into my house, I'm not gonna start doing some ethical math to try to figure out if this is permissible. That's why I was a little right. I was afraid you were going there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think and I think that that begs this conversation even more because in the moment you don't have time to know where you stand on these issues so you do have to come to terms with the fact that this situation might happen to you and what are you going to do in response to it yeah so i i think it's important for people to have this this conversation even with themselves and with their family yeah um so let me back up a bit so i can make sure i'm understanding you sure Because originally you said that you don't think there should be a rule around self-defense. I, I want you to clarify that statement. Like, um, I mean, oh. Because mm. I feel, is, like, I almost feel like you went in a different direction than what you meant. By that. Um, I, I think that, like, when I say there shouldn't be a rule around self-defense, I don't, I, I mean, that it shouldn't be binary in the sense of, like, you either say, as Christians, we have no right to self-defense, or as Christians, we ha- always have the right to self-defense. Okay. Like I think that I think there needs to be nuance and discernment. Um, Essentially, saying it's complicated and there are a lot of. It's complicated. Areas. Yeah. I, there's no like I would say. I would even say, the situation of a single person and a person who has a family are different situations ethically, and that they almost okay, warrant fair. completely yeah. different chapters in a book on how to you know how to approach self-defense. Right. Yeah. If you're single. You can risk your life a lot quicker and be and be looser with it, right? That's if you have the your life is you know the. I was going to say I'm sitting here thinking I can't imagine a scenario in which somebody busts into my house that I don't immediately feel as though I have a right to self defense because of my family now. Mm -hmm. I have Leah and Briar in the eyes of society as well. Correct. Yeah, but I don't really care about what society thinks. I care about what scripture has to say about it. Yeah. So. And, and I think there's another level to this where, so this gets into Bonhoeffer's theory of ethics, which is that there is a law as to how Christians ought to live, and that Christ gives us these like very broad sweeping principles, but that the heart of the law is to take on the burden of your neighbor on yourself. And that's that is so he calls it vicarious representative action, which is mm-hmm. so you you do something so that someone else doesn't have to face the weight that you do, yeah. whatever that weight might be, right? Mm-hmm. So, so this is how, um, like he will he will say things like, um, or he would he would probably go so far as to say, in the in the instance of someone breaking into your home, if you decide to shoot the person that's coming in or or kill them in whatever way you you have the ability to do so what you're actually doing is you're taking the burden of guilt onto yourself Mm. rather than either your family or some police officer in the future or whatever right you're you're actually you're you're pulling that guilt onto yourself and that there are times where pulling guilt onto yourself is the loving thing. Mm. So this is his, like, in, in there are ethicists all over the place that would dispute Bonhoeffer. So, like, this, sure. is, this is a very novel approach to, to ethics. But he would say there are times where sin is the right thing mm. because of love, but only because of love. 
it can never be for selfish intent, right? It's not like I get to steal and and um and I get the bread and that's why, you know, like I steal for my own for my own self and that's justified. It's but it's like if you have a family who's starving and you steal, you've done the loving thing. You have sinned and you are you've done the loving thing. You've fulfilled the law even though you've sinned. And so there's like this weird, right? Or like you've lied to the Nazis, right? Yeah. It's a, and I think that what I like about that approach is that it allows for all the things that we by instinct know are right, but we can't find an, a, like a principle that justifies mm-hmm. them, right? So like the, the Kantian principle of like mm-hmm. somebody comes to your door mm-hmm. and, the, in, and they're like, hey, right. uh, you know, someone's chasing me. It's your friend. Someone's chasing me. They're trying to kill me. Um, and the person, you know, comes after them and, you know, this person's hiding in your house and, you, you know, Kant basically says, if you lie to that person, you've committed an evil because if that person, this is a terrible justification, but he says, if that person then goes outside, like leaves your apartment and your friend has tried to escape out the back window, they will die. And it was because you lied. And it's like, well, that's ridiculous, right? That's yeah. a, but. And, and so, like, we all know that lying to the Nazis is the right thing to do. Like, I think that's, like, just inherent in us. But we also know that lying is wrong. And that's mm-hmm. also inherent in us. And I think there, what Bonhoeffer's approach allows for is a complexity where these two things actually are held in tension with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, that's... <clears throat> that is all interesting, yeah. I, I don't think I care for that approach but <laughs> I understand yeah, most I'd people don't to, well yeah, I'd know. have to read some Bonhoeffer I totally I'm sympathetic towards it and I get it um, mm-hmm. I think I'm in a different eth- ethical place than, than where I would go with that to use your example for uh, you know Nazis are knocking on the door um, I think of have you seen the movie Inglorious Bastards before yeah. yes yeah there's a, there's the scene in the beginning uh, where Hans Landa in the yeah. SS knocking on the door and they're coming looking for Jewish families mm-hmm. and, and the uh, character in the house has to make the decision uh, am I going to actively hide uh, the Jewish family that I'm right. already hiding uh, or am I going to give them up for the sake of my family mm-hmm. who the SS officer is threatening beautiful uh, ethical mm-hmm. conundrum there oh, right? Okay. Like well painted really yeah. Gets, you, yeah. gets you thinking on that one for mm-hmm. sure um, but yeah, I'm not sure I want to go too far down this road because I think it, yeah. But for me, if you want to understand my approach to any of this, sure. that's a key to it. No, it is, yeah. So I, that's yeah. that's all. That's why I bring it up. Yeah, yeah. In all that's, of this, yeah, that will be sure. my... The, for sure. The interesting approach. part with that, you know, what you said is that uh, it, it allows for that uh, that moral, or not moral, but, but basically that gray area that allows us to... to do what's right in our hearts, but that we can't find a justification for. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. The the flip side of that is that it also opens the door for people to manipulate the rules sure. in their favor to commit evil, which is probably where but people again, would argue against it. But the, the only rule in the ethic is that it's vicarious representative action. Uh-huh. So it is always for the sake of the neighbor. Yeah. If you're doing it for yourself. Yeah. Then you've then you've already you're already stepped into the wrongs, right? Right, so, it, and I understand that, but 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 people can read it that way for sure, sure. and that's I think the biggest thing is like I think that would be a big critic of it. A huge yeah. yes, it's a huge part of the criticism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I um, yeah. I'll say I'll say one last thing. I kind of want to veer back more towards sure. self defense yeah. sure. specifically, but yeah, like 
I'm sympathetic towards Bonhoeffer's position, I think, in principle, and I think I probably land somewhere similar to that. I think there's a language barrier in how Bonhoeffer might oh, approach it and I might. Because I would not call uh, telling the Nazis that I don't have Jews in my house lying. And I think there's actually decent uh, biblical precedent for that. Interesting. How yeah. do you? How do you? How do you? I I understand the the biblical precedent of there are certain times where lying is seen as justified, but I don't know how you don't call it lying. Well, yeah, no. there's um. Most people will bring up the cases of like, uh, um, oh my goodness, I'm forgetting her name. <clears throat> um, who hid the Israelite? Cool. Oh, Rahab. Rahab. Yeah. Thank you. Goodness. Most people will bring that up as a as a justified case to be able to lie to somebody um, <clears throat> because it's there, biblically speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, some will say that Rahab was wrong, but God used that as a part of his plan to mm-hmm. uh, establish Israel. Um, the, most, the most interesting, and this was brought up in my ethics class, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, the most interesting one I found regarding lying is Psalm 52. And what happens in Psalm 52 is that uh, David is commenting on an event that happens, I believe, in 2 Samuel, I want to say it is, Mm -hmm. where it's like Doeg the Edomite or something like that. Yeah. um, Tattles on, on where David's location is to Saul. And what he says in the, in the Psalm is that Doeg was, was a liar and full of deceit um, in that case. Uh, you can look it up. Interesting. Sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm fascinated very, now. You've, you've yeah, piqued very my interest. And so kind of what happened in the ethics class and how we were discussing it, um, I, think, I think the principle of what was being discussed is that um, sometimes people aren't deserving of the truth. And even though we're telling them something that may not have truthful facts in it uh it's it's more deception than it would be lies and it's a justified deception mm. and in that case it wouldn't be sin so like what rubs me the wrong way with what you're saying about bonhoeffer is that he's saying sometimes there's justifiable sin mm-hmm. uh, and i would just say that i don't think you have to say that i think that uh there's precedent with that song from what i can tell to where it's it's actually, you know, we, we might call it lie, just be, a lie or deception, just because that seems to be the language there. But like the essence of the psalm seems to say that some people aren't deserving of the truth. In that case, Doeg, the, the Edomite, was prohibiting the greater plan of God, which was that David would become the, the next king um, yeah. in line for Israel. So it, it sounds like I, I think I is that all making sense? Yo, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. There's there's it, a it gets real where, complicated, but um, I've heard before that like kind of a nuanced Kantian approach would be that there are certain people that have um, have uh, what's the right word forfeited forfeited their yeah. their right to the truth to the truth yes. Um, the Nazis being the example, right? Yeah. And my big question would be: at what, Then you have to have an arbiter. Someone gets to decide mm-hmm. when someone has crossed that barrier. Yeah. And who is that? Who is the arbiter? 
who gets to decide. Yeah, I think it's just... <clears throat> it has to come down to personal opinion at the end of that, I would think. Uh, I, I'm, so, not sure, I'm not sure how you get around that. So the that the key the, the key problem there I think is that it makes man into the judge and the arbiter mm-hmm. right um, whereas Bonhoeffer's approach basically he starts out ethics by saying no man will escape this life without sin so he should that's not that's not our intent it's not so it, we should sin sin sometimes it's not that it's that we shouldn't run away from it as if it's the main problem the main problem is love and and whether or not we are loving individuals, right? So so then there would be some people that would say, well, listen, if you're loving your neighbor, then whatever you're doing is not sin. And Bonhoeffer would say you can sin and also love your neighbor at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he says sin, he means very quite literally like the breaking of the law, right? Mm-hmm. The like the specific statutes. So this is where like I would say I, this is what I think happens with Jesus in the Sabbath. I think Jesus mm. transcends the laws and breaks a statute, and and I don't think that he minds. And here's here's why I say that: the pe- they will say the Pharisees say to him, you, like you're healing on the Sabbath, like there's all these other days that you could be doing this. Why are you doing this, right? And his response is never based around the law. He never says you're you know like I'm healing on the Sabbath, um, and it's not really work because x y and z he doesn't give them like some sort of logic out he says he appeals to love that's his first thing is he goes you would pull an animal out of a ditch right Mm. you you love your animals you you can see a reason why you would break a law for an animal i'm doing it with a person and you won't you you know you've you've uh so basically he calls out hypocrisy right yeah Mm -hmm. um so in that, he, I think what he's doing there is pulling out ordered love, or disordered love. He's saying, you, you love an animal more than you love a person. What's wrong with you? <laughs> right? But I think it's telling that he doesn't say, well, here's my, you know, here's my, uh, my like, logicked out approach to why I didn't break the law. He doesn't seem concerned about it. Because Jesus knew that he was fulfilling the law at its core, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, that's... It's an interesting argument. I I have some things in response, but I feel like I want to go back to self-defense. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Let's go back yeah, to self-defense. It's very... I'll leave it at this. The, the, the topic around, like... I think uh, an encapsulating, like, phrase around that is, like, is lying ever justified is an interesting one. I think there's just a lot of language barriers mm-hmm. in it. I think most people are saying... At least pretty close to the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's um, the same results a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, like to kind of lay my cards on the table. I guess is I want to I want to protect against saying that where that sin is justified in any case. Sure. Um, and I, again, I don't think Bonhoeffer is saying that sin is justified. Yeah. I think he's saying it's it's inevitable. unavoidable. Inevitable. Yeah. Inevitable. Right. Yeah. I, I I get that. Um, yeah, it's just it's a language problem for me, and I feel sure, like yeah, sure. I, that that could be a whole other discussion that I would also, be interesting to mm-hmm. to work out. But um, yeah, I would have a problem with some of that language. I also <laughs> very well could be misrepresenting Bonhoeffer because I read Ethics once and missed them, and I think I like there were several chapters that I just didn't understand at all because he's <laughs> too smart for me. Um, so if any of you who are listening, I, I doubt it, but if any of you are like complete Bart scholars and Bonhoeffer scholars, and you're like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, 
Let us know. Yeah, email me because I would love to know if I'm wrong because I don't want to tell more people that. So. Yeah. There you go. So to put a summarizing cap on kind of what we were just saying right there, that kind of got nuanced and complex. It certainly <laughs> did. What, what we were saying is that uh, self-defense isn't as cut and dry as people think it is. Um, right. There, life is complicated. Situations are complicated. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the application of self-defense is, is complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to have one rule that spans across every circumstance yeah. and every uh, available instance. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think personally I can, I can agree with that. Um, I thought you brought up an interest, interesting point about singles versus those who might have families. Right. Um, might have a different approach to it. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, I just, you know, I think there is a justification for self-defense. Uh, I'll just take the example of myself with my family as an, as an example. I think mm-hmm. most times, most cases, if somebody is trying to harm my family or something like that, seemingly, that is, mm-hmm. uh, that I would be justified in, yeah. in, in defending my family. Uh, I think we, you and I might just have different ways of explaining that via language like we just got into but at the end of the day i think it doesn't seem like either of us are against self-defense per se but let me ask a question that might get to a an interesting undershadow of all this which is we always talk about whether or not we have the right to self-defense if you defended yourself and you now are responsible for the death of another human being Mm -hmm. Do you believe that you would walk through life without that haunting you? Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. No. No. So what is that? Let's let's dig into that because yeah, that that, that has to get brought up at some point. You know, yeah. what is it what's the what is it that makes us feel bad? Is the real question, right? Well, I think that probably just has to do with human finitude and our inability to see the entirety of the situation as God can in his omniscience. Mm-hmm. So we're always going to be second-guessing our personal judgments of different scenarios. Because it's, it's not just whether or not it, I murdered a guy and I feel bad about it. You can apply that to any ethical situation. Sure. And you're constantly going to question yourself, did I make the right decision? Did I do the right thing? Yeah. Did I fall into sin? Did, <clears throat> did I do something that was justified or not? And, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think... Um, I would imagine that's just a condition, a condition of human beings having sinful, a sinful nature to them. Do you think that there's no guilt involved? So you, you, somebody comes into your house. Okay. So you would say clear guilt or or meaning clear, uh, clear, cleared of all guilt. That would be like the, if, if you logically, I think you, you kind of have to say that. Do you not? I would say you can't. There's no guilt. I would, I would say that there is no, there is no, maybe I'm misunderstanding. There is no killing of a person in which guilt is not at some point levied, right? But then again, remember, I see sin at, and like the breaking of law, certain laws that there's, there are certain laws that it seems to be that most cultures just feel, right, at a deep level. I think there's been particular cultures where there's people who kill and like entire nations and feel though as though there's nothing wrong with it. That's true. That's but a good, yeah, that's a fair I, point. I, well, I, even warrior cultures are celebrated in, in certain parts of the world and even <laughs> Aztecs and Mayans sacrificed people. Sure. That, that, I mean, that's just straight up. I was thinking murder, more along the lines of the Amalekites sacrificing children to Molech. So I guess um, it's, it's more the, I think 
there is no like I said, like Bonhoeffer said, I think there's no way that we don't that that we escape this world without some sense of guilt, and that that means that guilt ne doesn't necessarily act, it shouldn't act as the prime motivator for our decision making, um, because we will feel guilt on that a little bit more. We will feel guilt over certain things. Right. So so I think here's where it might be getting crossed is because we're we're trying to talk in the particular uh, situation of self-defense, but I think some people genuinely feel justified in self-defense, and so perhaps that's where guilt may not be involved there, but those people might feel guilty or condemned in other parts of their life. Sure. So, so to your point, in, in I believe, Bonhoeffer, you know, there's no escaping this life without guilt. Mm -hmm. And so on a broader sense, I think that's true, but on a, on a smaller sense in self-defense, I think some people genuinely believe no, I, I had every right, I was justified, and it was correct for me to defend my family against a home invader or against somebody who was causing somebody else harm or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they feel that justification of it. But So I think Jacob was act, asking, I, I think you're kind of going why, between the particular and the yeah, universal. Why is, why is it that many people who mm -hmm. will shoot a home invader will feel guilt over it in, their, in the future? Yeah, Should even, they feel guilt over Even it? though they may have been entirely justified to do so. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. so that's the question. Yeah. Uh, perhaps the answer to that is that uh, is the Imago Dei itself, that mm -hmm. human beings possess mm -hmm. a particular um, status, if, if you will. Um, For Christians, definitely. Yeah. I, I think that's absolutely a part of Christian consideration. Well, everybody contains sure. the Imago Dei, so I think on some level it's at least reasonable to think that human beings, when a life is taken, um, are inevitably going to have some sort of reaction mm -hmm. because of God's imbuing them. Like a that. mournful uh, reaction? Or mm, like, yeah. like it's sad that that, that happened. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Anytime another human being dies, I think there's a particular reaction because God made it that way. Mm. <laughs> mm. I think that could be the answer, my answer. To I, I yeah. think that's a part of it. I think that... Uh, I think you, you hit it too, um, at least something that I would probably feel, you know, if I were in that situation is, mm -hmm. is if I did something wrong, you know, and, and a part of that goes into Imago Day, and then the part that's under that, the guilty conscious is, uh, like, am I still saved, essentially, right, you know, so uh, underneath the guilt is like, oh, the fear, right, right, right. right. It, um, right, the fear of whatever it may be leads you to feeling guilty. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think at the root of it is fear. And, yeah. and fear of different things. You know, somebody who's not a Christian may fear whatever. You know, they, they, they fear that they did wrong and that, you know, who knows, they, they snuffed out somebody's torch before. You don't think it could be the other way around? That fear leads to guilt or guilt leads to fear? Yeah. I think you were saying fear leads to guilt. No, sorry. I, I was trying to clarify that underneath guilt lies fear. So, so somebody may feel guilt about uh, defending the family, but underneath that guilty feeling is is a feeling of fear that they're unreconciled with, with God now. Yeah, there's a brokenness right. that they saw in themselves that they're afraid of, right? That sure. like, could lead to... Um, right. It, the brokenness of the world becomes very clear in a situation, like mm. in, in a self-defense situation. Mm. So I, yeah. I think that underlies that guilty feeling and, and that fear manifests itself as guilt and as, as kind of a pointing down to oneself and saying, oh, you, you're wrong, you're bad, yeah. you're this, you're that, you're guilty, you're condemned. 
because you cause this brokenness and what does that lead to yeah. ultimately? That's actually a really good so so here's a here's a question and this I just have I'm fairly sensitive, so I, it could be that that's just the case with this one. Have you guys ever watched a war movie and felt a genuine sense of like un, like unease and discomfort at the end of it? Like Oh, I just did the other week. Yeah. Okay, alright, so I'm not alone in that. I you watched I watched All Quiet on the Western Front. Have you seen that one? Oh, have I? The newer well, I don't the newer. Think I, have. I haven't seen the newer one. I haven't seen that you, one yet. Have you seen the old one? Actually, no, I, I haven't seen that at all. So uh, I I guess just to give a quick cap yeah. of what yeah. it is, um it's a Actually, it's a World War One movie. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> World War One movie from the perspective of a German soldier and, mm. and him, his experience along with his friends. To make a long story short, uh, he goes in like very uh, patriotic, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nationalistic, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Proud of his country. Uh, feeling as though he's a part of a, a grand generation of German people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as time goes on, he loses every single one of his friends. The, the meta narrative is that the war is pointless and people are dying for no reason. Mm. And, uh, and by the end of it, finally, people realize that and the war is coming to an end and he dies two seconds before the war ends. And so mm. the, it's, it's kind oh, of wow. like supposed to show that the, you know, it's, it was all pointless. That horrible <laughs> sense of tragedy. But yeah. anyways really like I'm sure accurate and horrific scenes in the movie yeah and it just it moves you yeah and it yeah. It, it gives you a really disgusted taste yeah uh, by the end by the end of the movie mm-hmm. um, so it could be then Nate that that just like you were saying <laughs> like when we take the life of another person it's like that times a thousand because now it's it's so up close and personal there's that trauma and not only that Right? right, I did that, right. and even if the the reasoning is there to like you know, and, and you feel justified as far as ethical guidelines and legal guidelines go, there's this feeling of like I contributed, though it was justifiable, justifiable. I contrib- contributed to, to the disgusting nature of violence, and not only that, but the the literal decimation of something that God created. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that too. Yeah. So maybe that's what's going on there. Because I, because I was trying to think of a, of an example where guilt or or something like that, kind of that deep inner like uh, I'm I'm unshook by that, right? Yeah, right. Can happen in a in a setting where that actually didn't happen. I didn't do anything. I just watched the movie, right? I'm I'm experiencing this secondhand. I'm watching someone else do this stuff. Yeah. And just someone else doing it sets me on that same edge of like, oh, you know, right. it kind of makes my chest tight, right? Right. So, so maybe that that you know to to get rid of the you know the experiential um, side of that, but um, I think I don't believe at the end of all things that there's there's any way of killing besides besides like by uh by like demand of god right um i don't think there are are any situations where killing doesn't lead to some level of guilt um i i think that there's something endemic to killing for the christian or just for anybody for for anybody but i think for christians specifically need to be aware of it right because we're 
where those who yeah maybe have, are maybe a better way to say is Christians to a larger degree because I don't know it feels like there's some that's a, that's an awful subjective way of putting it. I feel like there has to be some people out there who feel no degree of guilt no and I'm not saying I, yeah. I, I've, I've escaped the feeling so put, so you could say that there's the two realities of guilt there's the guilt of like the metaphysical guilt right like uh, our relationship to creation and the disruption therein right and and our relationship to God right um, and then there's so like there you could say there's the natural and then there's like what we experience and those aren't always the same right so like you could have a psychopath who violates the laws of nature you know however you want to call it um, and then feels no guilt right and then you can have somebody who is just overly sensitive in their conscience and does nothing to do any you know any breaking of any laws and <coughs> And, and, yet and they still, still feel some sort of guilt, right? Um, all the time. And, and so, like, almost breaking the experiential, the, the feelings off for a second. I think that naturally, or, and I, again, I don't really like the terms of nature and, like, natural law or anything like that, but yeah, as far so. as that, I could see your face <laughs> kind of twist when I said that. Um, there's there's some, some form of reality in which guilt is... Um, inescapable in those situations like I, I don't I don't think that there's like we can um yeah it's, it's almost a it's, it's like a it's an ontological guilt like a, a, a guilt of being like it's 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 beyond what en- what any like external structures could impose on us right so we could say it's legal and we think biblically it's it's reasonable right but then if we get to the like there's a certain point where it's like but at the level of being there's something disrupted and broken mm-hmm. um yes i would agree with that I yeah think. so yeah well despite the, despite my i think correct me if i'm wrong this is what you're saying is despite my at least theoretical justification of self-defense and possibly taking another life right underneath that that was never the ideal in the first place, right. that idea. It's because of sin and brokenness. And, and actually that, that very action points to a further brokenness of the world and the need for reconciliation. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so what I was just going to say too is the, the yeah, flip side of guilt that. is that uh, ultimately it can be used by the Spirit to point you back towards God and, and the need for, for reconciliation. Right, right, right. right. You know, because you, somebody may be justified uh, in a self-defense situation and still feel guilty about it and that can be good mm-hmm. because it leads them back to Christ and it leads them back to forgiveness and love and reconciliation yeah. even for uh, the one who hurt them so, so yeah you know conviction isn't meant to be a final yeah it's, it's, a, yeah. it's an indicator back to right even somebody who fails in a self-defense situation so that somebody may may have the means or may be capable to defend them and their family, and and they could fail, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and they feel guilty because they failed. So right. that yeah. guilt, yeah, that guilt still leads them to. That's an interesting take. Yeah, faith, love, we forgiveness. Not that very often, do we? No, we don't. The feeling that you would get if you had the gun and decided not to shoot. Well, yeah, or 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 even, couldn't get it out of the lockbox. Right, or or, or you get bonked on the head with glass and you are unconscious and whatever yeah. happens. So. Yeah. And that isn't necessarily <laughs> illegal form of guilt it's it goes deeper right exactly. it's like a 
it's it goes back to what you were talking about the finitude right it's that it's the feeling of being in a world where evil has a reign of its own mm-hmm. right um, uh, right and, and the guilt in that situation you know you can <clears throat> you feel guilty because I think anybody who who is in that situation would be like man why didn't I do that you know right but but that guilt still leads you to um, back to the cross ultimately yeah um and, and the need for reconciliation and the need for Christ uh, but the other way of that guilt is is into shame yeah and is into uh, is a retreat into yourself and, and you know whatever else that may lead into you yeah. know away from love yeah mm-hmm. yeah actually I watched another movie that I think so along the lines of that another, I love movies another per- particularly horrific movie I'm not sure I would recommend this one but <laughs> yeah it's called Wind River have you ever watched that one Wing River Wind River. Wind With Jeremy yeah. Renner? Correct. I've seen it on Netflix. Okay. I haven't actually seen it. I mean, you can watch Sorry. it. It's pretty pretty gruesome. A lot of very bad things mm-hmm. in it. Uh, I won't say more than that. Okay. But essentially, <laughs> the main character in the in the movie, uh, it, he's a hunter. A tra- he, he tracks predators and removes them for farmers and things like that in mm-hmm. Wyoming. <clears throat> and... He comes across uh, a murder case while he's out on uh, just walking around. He finds a body. Mm-hmm. And uh, as he goes on, he figures out that it was um, his daughter's best friend who was mm-hmm. killed. Uh, and it happened in the same way that his daughter was killed. Ooh. <laughs> and um, Sounds like a good story. <laughs> yeah. At, the, at, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, what happens with him, it's not really revealed too much about what happened to his daughter but we know that uh his daughter was killed by a group of men a group of men likely in um abused in certain ways yeah as well and he feels a tremendous amount of guilt for not protecting his daughter Mm -hmm. he allowed his daughter to be home alone and she threw a party that got out of hand and so okay um, yeah Yeah, I, I feel like that's in track with what you're saying. It's on the flip side. He feels shame and guilt right. from yeah. his community for not protecting his daughter. Right. right. Um, and so, you know, same same result is if, you know, let's say he was there and was able to commit an act of self-defense in for his daughter, um, but he didn't do anything, and he couldn't do anything, and he feels the same guilt that he likely would mm-hmm. have just in a different way had he have been there and done something. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Where that turns so. into, I, I think where that guilt and shame turns into sin, is when it manifests itself in revenge. Um, yes, you know. So, so I think that you know, oftentimes in movies or whatever, you know, we we almost celebrate or look up to to the men that uh, seek vengeance, you know, on the on the people that hurt them, like Taken, Batman. Yeah, Batman. Exactly. <laughs> so so, you know ultimately that becomes uh you're elevating yourself to the point of judge and and it and you're you're allowing yourself to enact justice and taking that out of the hands of god ultimately um batman's an interesting case though well yeah yeah but isn't there a form of judgment also when you are in the situation when somebody breaks into your home, don't you become yeah. the judge, jury, jury, and executioner 
in a brief moment. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like it, we're like we're wanting to preserve the ability for God to judge ultimately in mm-hmm. in these scenarios, but I feel like that ignores the fact that we we still have personal responsibility and make decisions in real time. Well, 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 so that that's the other thing. In that situation, you know, so in a self defense situation, are you becoming the judge, jury, executioner, mm-hmm. potentially against somebody else who is who has declared themselves judge, jury, and executioner as well? So you're not on uneven, you're not on an uneven playing field. No, but but in the instance of vengeance, you're just doing that with somebody who in the past has been judge, jury, and executioner, right? In the case of vengeance, yes, I was speaking more in the realm of self defense. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, what I'm saying is, I I think that vengeance and self defense are not far from one another, and that's what makes me weary. Perhaps. Yeah. Um, I think. Well, yeah. Uh, well, well, one is a response, and one is taking action. Right. So, they, so they're not the same. Let's go back to where we started. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to where we started. Yeah, what yeah. do you think? Why? Why was Christ against Peter taking up the sword? Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. Um, and beyond <clears throat> that, I think even farther beyond that, why weren't the Christian communities that spawned out of it opposed to martyrdom? If self-defense is a is a prominent feature of, of why, Christian why ethics, they to yeah, why why mm. would they not have um, mm. fought tooth and nail to maintain themselves? Because like yeah, in Islam, like self-defense is no problem, right? And it's sure. it's actually like a very righteous thing to do. So there's mm. something about the Christian message where we actually think that there's something about martyrdom or or allowing the world to act as judge, jury, and executioner over us, just as it did with Christ. That is fitting for us. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get into Islam and, and outside views. Sure. And that, that's so, just and speculation. And yeah. we don't have to. Yeah. Uh, my quick response or initial thoughts, I, I don't think I've ever been asked this question, so I'm kind of thinking on the fly. Sure. But why was Christ against Peter uh, taking up the sword? Uh, well, because he was predestined to go to the cross. He had a greater mission at hand, and so self-defense wasn't the... Are we not? Like... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, are we not predestined towards the cross? In a, in a different form, but yeah, are we yeah, not sure. called the same direction? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think you could also look, though, to... Um, it's it's not exactly self-defense, but Christ removing himself from situations in which he would have been stoned or... Sure. You know, he, he would have been condemned in the square. Yeah. You know? and, and like that's Paul, where I was going next. Okay. Paul appeals to his citizenship to get like a, a lighter sentence, right? And, uh, yeah. Right. Which yeah, is a form of, of self-defense, you know, in Paul's case more in a, totally. in a lawful manner, but totally. in, in Christ, uh, you know, he removed himself from the situation. Totally. Yeah. You know, and he didn't take a life in that, in that respect. No. Yeah. Or, yeah. I was going to go, I think that, that same route, I, I would actually probably appeal to what you were saying earlier is I think that not every situation is the same. And I think in Christ's situation, there was a higher good than self-defense that was going to be obtained for his situation, which is to go to the cross. Perfect. Okay, let me trace that. Can I trace that? Yeah, go ahead. So when you say higher good, what do you mean? What What determines a good? What's a good? For for Christ, it was the ultimate salvation of all of humanity. Right. Would it be wrong to say the love of his neighbor? Um, is the highest... Or even good? or even beyond that, just love as... as was, was love the reason that that was the higher good? 
Is, mm-hmm. is that, how do we measure what's good is my question, right? Yeah, that takes discernment. That's a, that's a good question. Yeah, that um, is a good question. We're also thinking this through on the fly. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, totally. Yeah, this, yeah. I might pivot based off this question, yeah, off this conversation. So. Yeah, I, I might have to think about that. Can you maybe state your question one more time? Just so sure, I sure, sure. sure. I'll, I'll try to make it, a, I'll try to state it better. So you said, you said yeah. in this, in the case of Christ, the reason that he allowed for himself to not be killed, I'm sorry, do you, uh, he allowed himself to to, uh, to, to be killed and, and to not, he didn't defend himself, he went like a lamb to the slaughter, is because the aim that he had in mind was the redemption of the world, which in his eyes was the greatest of goods, right? It was a greater good, at least, than... And are you saying that applies in every self-defense scenario? No, 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 I'm not. I'm just <laughs> asking you... Would, what would you say the essence of a good is? Like, how do we know? So if I'm, if I'm confronted with a situation where mm-hmm. I'm deciding whether or not to defend myself, mm-hmm. how do I know what the greatest good would be? Yeah. Well, you have to weigh then the, the good of the intruder or the good of your family, which is back to your point of right. yes. a, a single versus somebody who's married with kids or something like that. Well, more vague than that, that's all, that's all determinations of love, right? Sure. Loving your your enemy, loving your family, right? That's the, the tension that's being drawn there, right, is, is two different loves. And, and so it is love the essence of the good. That's what I'm trying to ask. I, I think so. Is there anything else beyond that? Because that will, that will paint the rest of the conversation, I think. If we can isolate the love as the good, I think that will move us to common ground. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think so... so. Then if I'm, I'm understanding everything properly. So the, then the end question of self-defense is what, what is the loving thing to do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you're just... In a vague that's, sense, right? That's why I said it, yeah, that's why I said it, it requires discernment. Right. Because mm-hmm. not every situation is... The, the factors are always... Is equal or the same, so... Sure. So that's what I said in the beginning. Yeah. Is I don't think there should be one rule around it because... Yeah, and I think I agree different. with you. Yeah, Perfect. Yeah, okay. Right, right, right. All right. I just want to make I sure ever, we're on the same ground there. I don't yeah. think I, I ever disagree. I could. Yeah, I, I yeah. guess you yeah. don't remember. I think we just use different language. In, yeah. In different Which language. tends to be the case with, yeah. with us three. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, yeah. So it's good. It's I, yeah. I said it, it. It requires discernment, and I wanted to make the further point is yeah. I think the best way to obtain um, sound discernment, I guess you could say, is to study the scriptures, to mm-hmm. know the scriptures, sure. and mm-hmm. uh, to dig deep into the person of Christ um, and how he's revealed himself. Mm-hmm. Um, that, so, I think, yeah, is this particular for, key. Yeah, yeah so we're, the distinction that I was going to draw with, with that is that, in, in, in my view, at least as I'm thinking on the fly here, uh, the, it was better for Christ, and I guess to use your language too, it was it, it was better for Christ to forego self-defense for the the better purpose of love, which yeah. which culminates in, in his death on the cross and resurrection. Right. right. Um, in a more personal scenario amongst mm-hmm. um, amongst us, <clears throat> yeah, it's 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 going to come down to quick thinking and, and discernment as you see the scenario um, in. If I'm a single person, somebody breaks into my home, who am I trying to love in that scenario? It's, that is one of the hardest questions. That, right. Yeah. yeah extreme. <clears throat> um, and yeah, I don't know that I have a great answer for that 
even generally. I don't know if anybody knows. <clears throat> Can yeah. we say okay. that broadly? This is this is a hard question. Let me let me finish my. Oh yeah, go ahead. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. I was gonna say, if you're if you have a family, um, I think it's probably most of the time going to be my greatest love is owed to my family in that mm-hmm. scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, and, and I think you can build precedence from that with how highly scripture speaks of family. Um, yeah, it, it speaks very, it, isn't there a, a scripture, it might be a psalm, I can't remember, but my, uh, my buddy quoted it to me the other day. It was, uh, it went something like a, a man who doesn't provide for yes. his family. First mm-hmm. Timothy. Yeah, 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 yes. yeah, yeah. That's right. Is is worse than an unbeliever, right? Than yeah. <laughs> so, so clearly, you yeah. know, the support of the family is is biblical. And there's precedent for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Christ, Christ is a more his situation was a more clear cut example, I think, of of how love was to be ordered. Whereas with us, and that's where I was making the point of being finite and not mm-hmm. having an omniscient understanding of circumstances and within the scenario and all of the surrounding factors, yeah, the best we can do is to study the scriptures and know how to react in that situation the best we can. Yeah. But at the end of the day, um, it's not, not, it will never be an ideal circumstance and because we're human beings, we have the capability of being wrong in those scenarios. Yeah, um, definitely. So, but, but we make our decisions, hopefully, in fear and reverence of, of God and, and that we're trying to order ourselves towards what he would desire for us in that scenario. Yeah. So, sorry, uh, what, what were you going to say before oh, I finished well, that point? It's a tough question, but I was going to say, is it always... Um, hmm, I don't know how to phrase this question well. I think it's, it's something like, is it always a strange witness to the world when Christians choose to love their enemies over their family. Certainly. Because I think there are certain instances where... Probably the pe- answer is yes to that. People's, um, people's like, adherence to their, to their principles of faith... Non-committal. <laughs> uh, are... <laughs> are... Um, yeah, nine. Uh, uh, people's adherence to their principles of faith, even despite like the downfall of their family or the, or the, the um, sacrifice of themselves and them, their family, proves an a even greater witness of the love of the church to the world. So I think a good example of this is one that my dad brought up to me at one point when I was trying to determine where I would stand with guns is he said, well, there was one time where the, um, the, the Amish who don't, you know, like that, or it was either an Amish community, maybe it was a Mennonite, it was one of those kind of sectarian groups, right, those kind of on their own um, separatist group. And some shooter went in, killed a bunch of kids in a school that was on their property. Mm. And as a group together, they came out and they forgave the person that killed all these people, mm. right? Um... Like, and he said to me, like, I was thinking through, like, you know, issues of conscience and all this kind of stuff, and he was like, and I was, I was basically along the lines of, like, where, where you're standing. Like, I think it's always our responsibility to protect our family. And, and my dad said something like, but wow, what a witness mm-hmm. to the church, mm-hmm. right? Um, and had they been locked and loaded 
and ready at any moment for an intruder. And had they, you know, been higher in their protective um, tendencies, right? That they probably would have shot the guy when he came in, mm-hmm. but they didn't. Mm-hmm. And the, there were witnesses of like the kids in the in the school, and this is really grotesque, but it's also incredibly beautiful. Were volunteering to get shot before the other ones. Mm-hmm. Imagine kids, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Volunteering themselves as as the the first to go. Mm-hmm. That that I think is if the world wants. If, if we want a, the world to have some witness of the love of Christ in the church, mm. wow, <laughs> right? Well, um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that is, that's quite a powerful example, but I don't know if I'm on board with what you're saying. If I'm and that's fine. I, I just yeah. bring it up as a, like, yeah, I don't think we should pushback. See, I don't think the church should be, well, maybe this isn't the right way of putting it, but I'll say it this way anyways. <laughs> sure. I don't think the church should be seeking evil circumstances in order to create a greater witness for itself. We don't have to seek them, they just come. Yeah, they, yeah. <clears throat> Which, I, yeah, I figured you would say. But, um, n- like, the question is, is, like, were the Amish, like, right in how they portrayed that situation in, in the fact that they don't do self-defense? They didn't defend themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, well, ultimately, <clears throat> you know, if we wanted to parse that out even more, you know, we could we could ask a really big question of, well, what's our ultimate aim on this earth, are we ultimately shooting for the, you know, to, uh, are, are, is the church's purpose to bring more good into the world or, um, so postmodern versus pre-modernism, you know, or do, right. do we believe that Christ will come at the, um, when there are no believers in the world, or do we believe that Christ will come when the only thing left to be conquered is death? Oh, oh, you mean a, a pre or post uh, millennial? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I see what you're saying. Yeah. No, you're yeah. Pre or post millennial? Yeah. So that, that's a bigger question too. It's like oh, well, I'm, that's I'm, interesting. I'm yeah. millennial. I, I think there's yeah. No, I think we are going to continue to be harassed and persecuted until the very end. And I think maybe there will be a ramp up near the end, but the I'm not sure. They will say that too, though. Was that the post mill will say that too, though? Not all of them, right? Like there's some them, there's some post mills that yeah, will say, just gonna it just say it's better and better than Christ comes back, right? Yeah, yeah, but the, you know there the the there will still be a small minority by oh, the sure. of things that are still going to harass him. Sure, I don't think that persecution is ever going to go extinct in the church. Does that help? Yeah, solidify. Yeah. So. In that sense, yeah, that and that actually, just from this conversation, I feel like I'm actually becoming more entrenched in the pacifist. Just thinking through, like, if the if the real essence of the church and like what we're aiming for is witnessing to Christ's love and and trying to embody that same self sacrificial love that the um, that the that Christ showed to us to the world, right? That that forgives the world even as it crucifies it, right? Um, yeah. I think, it, again, it's, all, it's, it's more gray, it's blurry, right? The, the, the ties between family and enemy are, are pulled in that, but like, at least in the instance of my wife, like I know where she's going, right? And I'm not married, so I don't, I don't have a wife, but like <laughs> in, in most cases, we know where our family is headed. We know where... You know, I, I think it's a great witness. I just don't, I don't think that we necessarily have to open ourselves up to that 
No, and and I wouldn't say it's mandated, right? But if we're if we are choosing between the greater of witnesses, right? If we're choosing between which brings more glory to the name of Christ, if you're still around, I'm I'm in order to witness the love of neighbor of enemy. Well, I mean that's if if your torch is snuffed and you have no way of actually. Like, essentially, what I'm trying to say is, if if you don't, if you're not able to get that message out because you're not around, is that witness even effective? I think it's the most effective when it when it ends in your death, because I think that that is the it's the punctuation mark that leads to no debate. But would but would you being killed in your home lead to that testimony? I think among those who knew you. Um, but regardless of that, even like, even if we're not witnessing specifically to the world, because that's a good question. If there's no one around to hear it, if a tree falls in the, <laughs> in the, in the forest then no, no one's there to hear, hear it, does it make a sound, right? But, but we also like you know we play to some degree to an audience of the of the world, but our c- clearest and truest audience is Christ, and we, you know, he's our primary audience, right? Um, and and we only have an audience in the world because we our first audience is Christ. We're trying to be obedient, right? Um, and so I would say, I don't know, man. I, I, I do lean towards, like, I think nonviolence will always... Because here's the thing. Every... Almost every ethical system will permit something like self-defense. So the one that doesn't, and specifically for the sake of loving the neighbor... Loving the enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, man. That is that's such a counter cultural. That's such an against the world way of yeah. thinking, right? Whereas the world would be like, of course, kill the guy because of your family, right? Sure. But um, man, imagine the, the confidence that you have in the love of God if you're willing to even let your family. This is my my cousin who I've, I have had on my other podcast uh, on the main sophomores. I've interviewed him a couple times. He actually got me thinking this way at one point where I was like, in the case of your family, if you have a family, you know, like you're probably justified in self-defense. And he would say, would you not trust God with your family? And I was like, what? (laughs) And he was like, do you, do you believe that like, you know, so let's say you're, you're like, if you're, if your family is believing, right. Mm. And and you allow the intruder to be killed, who you don't know where they're where they stand with God. You have decided the day of their judgment, right? Like that was their last moment, and it could be that they go straight to the gates of hell, right? Whereas your family, you're at least as confident as you can be that that they're headed where you're headed, right? That they'll be with Christ. So what's what's lost? in the sake of taking the life of uh, an intruder of the enemy is any chance of repentance, right? So and, that's and also... I mean, a, a, and that comes down to all fact. variables as well. Uh, yeah. You know, de- depending if that, like, you know, e- even in that alone, it's like if the intruder has heard the gospel and rejected it or if he has heard it and he's still but wrestling Paul, with it. Paul heard it many times and... and well, we assume, Certainly, right? We know and, that and people will, will reject Christ people. until their own death. 
you know, so. Absolutely. But do we want to be the ones that make, that pull that trigger? You know what I mean? Yeah, but even, you know, then you could introduce a different variable, like, well, what if you have a, a child or daughter who hasn't come to faith? And, the, uh, and absolutely. Then you, and then you are yeah. protecting them. And so the math just gets very complicated. Yeah, the other thing I was going to say, too, is, like, your view although I don't, I don't think that you're aiming towards it, seems to put, to use your language from earlier, the, um, the weights and measures of glorification of God in man's hand as well. So you're, you've established that uh, it is greater glory to, to die, to not have arms and just die because it's a greater glory to God. Um, whereas who's to say that self-defense doesn't lead to a greater glorification of god in in certain scenarios given certain variables and yeah and, and this is this is where i would come back to the the guiding principle that i think is behind all of this which goes back to bonhoeffer is um it's taking on the burden of 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 evil whether that be guilt or the consequences mm-hmm. of of evil mm-hmm. right death mm-hmm. um or pain mm-hmm. suffering uh, on yourself so that someone else doesn't have to bear them, right? Or bears less of them, right? Which is basically the very heart of Jesus. It's, yeah. it's, it's that vicarious atonement. Fr- frankly, I'd rather have the guilty, the, the weight of the guilt from uh, defending my family that leads or that ends in someone's death. I'd rather have that guilt on my conscience than uh, to have that person have the guilt of murdering my family on their conscience. Oh, uh, there's another interesting factor. Um, here's, here's a question. Yeah. Would you have said, though, that Jesus' disciples were the closest thing to family that he had near the end? <clears throat> who is my mother? Who is my father? Who, he who does the will of my father, right. So, like, maybe, I mean, maybe. I guess you could say that. But even closer than maybe even closer than the blood relations, right? Yeah, perhaps. Definitely, eschatologically, we are right. Like we are the adopted Those with children. High views of Mary are furious, but yeah, sure. Oh, sure. sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, I have an incredibly high view of Mary. Um, I think Mary Mary was a disciple, and that's why I can maintain right like that. The her her value was not strictly the birth, but her yeah. her obedience. And her obedience is the the essence of. But regardless, okay. So, if that's true, why didn't Jesus? Why didn't Jesus set up things in a way so that the disciples were not persecuted and killed? Right, because they, they as far as we understand, they all were, except for maybe a couple of them. Right, sure. And all all were certainly persecuted. Sure. And most of them were martyred, right? Mm-hmm. So they all met the same end as we're postulating our family members, you know, violent pain and death, right? So therefore we should let all our families die? Um, what I'm saying is if it's a rule that the family, the, that the, um, let's say, the protection of one's family is of high regard, why didn't Christ protect what would have been maybe even nearer to him than his family. Well, I think he did with his death. And right. they, they had Protected a, their eternity. Yeah. Versus their... their he, so th- in, so in, in his, if we're bringing in eternity, then, in then his the question mind, inverts, right? So th- uh, what I'm... Yeah, because 
Because this whole argument is about our, our temporality, right? Right, but yeah, Christ had an omniscient view of those he was protecting, whereas we don't. Like, we're, we, we are not 100% certain that our family mm-hmm. members are going to enter the gates of heaven. Does that make sense? And the disciples rejected Christ. Yeah. I don't know exactly how that, that finds its way in, but I do know that that's a relevant detail in that. Uh, you mean them leaving him on the night of his betrayal? Well, Peter denial of him three yeah. times. You know, it, I mean, he had no allies. They they all rejected him. But that but he didn't. It's not that he didn't protect them because he they they you know. No, fled I, from I, I don't know how this ties in, but but that's what um, comes to my mind. actually I think it would almost tie into the other end where it would be like. The reason that Peter was wrong was because he did not go to the cross with Jesus, right? The reason that Peter was wrong was because he got afraid and and abandoned rather than, you know. So here, I don't know. It's a really tricky question for me, and, I'm, and I'm, I, I don't feel comfortable, like, going full sail in either direction. But I definitely feel like I lean more towards the pacifist end. I think I see your, your sympathies and things, but... I understand um, it fully. I think we're... And this ties in, I guess, more so to my argument just for firearms in general, uh, is because obviously the moment a firearm goes off is the worst case scenario. So that that is what you're hoping it doesn't end in. So owning firearms doesn't mean that you're going to kill somebody, mm-hmm. but it, no. it does mean that it is a preventative measure against somebody coming in and committing a horrible act of grotesque uh, mm-hmm. sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so. I, I guess this is a different point, but my argument for owning firearms is that it is a great level of threat deterrent that doesn't ultimately need to end in someone's death. But in the and this is my stance, I guess, in the case that that person will not stop their attack on on my family or whatever, um, I'm I will have to reconcile with defending myself ultimately. And and that'll be on me, and I'll have to I'll have to wrestle with, with that. The consequences of that. Yeah, and whatever that may be, but for me and and how I see the importance of family and and my role in their lives, mm-hmm. uh, I'm more willing to take on that burden than. Yeah, I appreciate than, the complexity there. Yeah, yeah. Then allowing them to go through something horrible in in, in the hope that that may bear witness and ultimate testimony to the love of Christ. Because what you're, what you're witnessing to there is, is that in every, in every possible scenario involving the active use of a firearm, mm-hmm. you, we're beyond ideals. Mm-hmm. There is no... And this is where I think Bonhoeffer's approach comes back again, where it's like, there is no, there is no getting out of this without guilt. Mm-hmm. So it's either on their hands or it's on yours or it's on your family's. It's somewhere. The somewhere. guilt is going to be somewhere. So... And, and, and that's what I see in that situation. Window cracks. I grab the firearm. I meet home invader in living room. Hey, man, stop this right now. This doesn't have to end this way. Hmm. He continues coming. Dude, I'm warning you. Do not come any further. If you even have the chance. Exactly. <laughs> right, you know, yeah, but, that's but it's like reasonable. <laughs> multiple warnings. It's like, you know, and the pursuit is relentless on their end. Yeah. At that point, if they're unwilling to yield, and I have offered them the opportunity, which the opportunity to yield is always on their conscience, mm-hmm. they they don't have to do that. They don't yeah. have to invade my home, no matter any circumstance. 
it, if that opportunity is presented for them and they do not relinquish, then that's when I will make that decision. Yeah. Ultimately. To, I think I'm in the same boat as Nate and to even bolster the case, because you really piqued my interest with the idea of bringing glory to God, even if that means, um, you know, I guess to use your language, like uh, giving up our possible family's deaths to him right. as well. Right. Like, but to add to the to the other side of that, let's say you you do defend your family. Like, I think we still have to remember that, like, there's a great potential that greater glory to God is given because your family survives and has the potential to go out and even use that situation as a means to bring glory to God's name because everybody has like mm-hmm. concentric circles of people they're involved with. Mm-hmm. And so they're continuing to live is, you know, let's say you have three kids is three times than that one individual that survives. Um, if yeah, but I think sense. the, I think the witness <clears throat> immediately gets tainted by the violence. So I think there's, there's my a child's witness gets tainted by my violence. I think if they try to use it to bring glory, it's like, God saved me from this violent intruder because my dad shot him, right? It's like, well, yeah, okay, you're using the worst possible (laughs) interpretation of that event. (laughs) Right. But for example, to Eric's point, it's like, if, if I were to defend my family and my child grows up to be a missionary and presents the gospel and, and, you know, to people that need to hear it, uh, then my and I'm not trying to bring glory to myself, but it's like, in order for that to happen, that scenario needed to have played out they the way to, that You're it willing did. to bear that guilt. <laughs> I'm willing to bear that guilt, but also, so in, in that case of, of my child being able to use that scenario, imagine my child understanding the complexities of that scenario, and then being able to go and love on people that are in prison for sure. home invasion, and they say, you don't have to feel the guilt for this. Yeah. You know, like you... But sure. Being able to witness to them yeah, yeah, yeah. and and present the gospel to them in that manner, mm-hmm. you know, and, and obviously we can cherry pick scenarios that support our cases in both sure. in both yeah. sides. I think that the 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 deeper point and the point that both of us are getting to is that uh, God can reconcile both good and evil acts. U- ultimately, all things will be reconciled to Him. Yes, in yeah. the end, agreed. Um, mm-hmm. all, all things will be made whole. So maybe that's not even a helpful form of argumentation. Maybe yeah. I just drop that. And yeah. I can I can back off on that. So, um, the only, yeah, the only point I was trying to make there is that like um, it, it's it's very subjective as to where how glory is bring being brought to God. Yes, your scenario does seemingly is seemingly a great with the example of the Amish witness, people, yeah, yeah, a great yeah. witness to God. I'm just saying sure. like uh, defending your family isn't not a great witness to God potentially speaking Mm -hmm. at the very least yeah well this is all a very like I don't know this is a very uh, it's a good conversation let me me close by asking like maybe one last variant in an area we really haven't explored at all that I think I I, I feel like might be an answer towards something like not again not an ideal but at least getting past the dichotomy here mm. um like is there room for christian creativity around how you stop the intruder 
Like you know, you oh, oh sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> sure. But I'm thinking like non-lethals, right? I, yeah. Yeah. I don't. Definitely. I don't think Nate or I are are trying to bind the consciences of individuals and say you must own a gun to defend your family. Right. right. No. 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 Um, if. But it is the most effective uh, way, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. At least in today's current time, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. If, a thousand if, years ago, it was a sword. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you... Well, yeah, Christ said, get a sword. <laughs> yeah. Justification. Um, <laughs> also, I don't think that verse should be used in, 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 in support of self-defense. I've heard it used in support of self-defense. It takes it out of context, I think. But yeah. anyways, I'd have to argue again. But yeah. Sorry, yeah. Regardless, ahead. yeah. Um, yeah, where was I? <laughs> I for, for Christian creativity... Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Could it be that we... I don't know. What if Christians were the pioneers in certain industries involving non-lethal approaches to self-defense? Like, what if we, yeah. you know, really pioneered that? And that was my thing for a long time. I was like, you know, when I essentially, when I eventually, not essentially, eventually have a concealed carry or whatever, I'll use rubber bullets. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is non-lethal ammunition. Yeah. So I have no argument against that. Yeah. You know, other than it's a less effective form of threat detection or threat uh, yeah deterring a threat De- yeah. yeah deterring a threat yeah. and then you at least can say Deterrence. I tried like you know let's say the guy gets past you I tried to deter him and was convinced that I could right I could deter him yeah. right because mm-hmm. man rubber bullets are no joke right but they, no they aren't in fact they can be lethal <laughs> depending on where you hit somebody but anyways right. I, I, I just think and like even beyond that like what if we became the, the pioneers of that technology like what a witness I don't know like yeah, I love when Christians can get into things where they almost transcend the, the, the debates you yeah. know it's like yeah. okay it, are you pro-life or are you pro-choice well what if all the Christians just went and adopted the babies or like you know something like or like offered to adopt right um, or supported the mothers or something like right. that. So it's like we're not even trying to get into the arguments. Right. And we just go straight into a positive way of, of approach, right? Well, then then you have, uh, what's his name in the orphanages? You know? Right. Like that, George Mueller. George yeah. Mueller. I mean, that's yeah, an yeah, amazing yeah. witness you know, for, of somebody who saw a, a problem and approached it f- from a, a gospel-centered worldview and, yeah. and lived his life in order to meet the... The needs of the people of that yeah. time, you know, the needs and of the children. You don't get the vibe from Mueller that he was like condemning all the parents that had left their, like, abandoned their children, right? Not that we know of. At least. Not that we know of, right? He he just inserted himself. There was no judgment. He inserted himself directly into how how can I help? Mm-hmm. How can I self, you know, sacrifice my own good yeah. for the sake of these, you know, my neighbors, right? Yeah, and, and uh, rubber bullets is a great, you know, option for non-lethal threat right. threat deterrence. Uh, yeah, if somebody wants to use the, a baseball bat because their mind, or their conscience will allow them to get a gun, by all means, use a right. baseball bat. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. The, the argument on the opposite side would be, well, that's not the most effective threat. Or, that's not the most effective mode of threat yeah. deterrence. And, and so then it's like, then the question becomes, did I do everything I could right. in order to protect my family? 
And then you you would say, no, I didn't. But even if and, you want to follow that line of argumentation, but, but that's you the say, opposite argument. Sure, sure. But you could say to somebody who has even a handgun, it's like, well, why don't you put out landmines? You know, that would I mean, really yes. be much better than right. Like you, at I some was, point, it gets absurd. I right? was thinking that I wasn't right, but then you have to weigh you, you <laughs> have to weigh like, risk let's, over let's put a tank in my Chris, house. Yeah, Chris, <laughs> well, it's just a housing right, yeah. and then you have to measure reality against. <laughs> Exactly. Fictionalization. So. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel like you know you you almost can't follow that all the way. Well, yeah. You can't follow it the other yeah, way you either. Can't, right? You can't live in a basement, you know. But <laughs> which, and this is this is the thing that I think scares me the most about the church and its attitude towards guns in general, and makes me want to be on the other side of it. Is you do get people in the church who are like gun nuts and not in the sense of like your grandfather where it's like this is my you know like this is my hobby i collect these things i cherish them because of you know the time it's like i I just got myself an m60 for house home defense it's like you don't need a light machine gun (laughs) to defend your home right like there's a point at which it becomes a like a, a shrine of its own and that's yeah, what scares me. Or like a prepper I mentality. Agree. I would agree. Maybe there's a day you need an M60. <laughs> Maybe someday. One day, Eric. <laughs> when you're mowing down a whole, you know, field well, full of infidels. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if we're getting into the worst case scenarios, when you the know, Nazis an, come an invading war, army, right? You know, or or uh, a civil war. Well, that's when we get into questions of war, and I don't think we're there I, yet. I, Let's I, not I, talk I, about I was that kidding. Yet. Was that yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we we could talk there. One man army just. <laughs> Rainbow style. Yeah, you're rigging up a nuke to the top of your house. <laughs> um, well, now we're just being absurd. Yeah. <laughs> but but it does like do you guys at least agree that in America it beco- it can become a cult of its own? Sure. Okay. Yeah, sure. I, I was gonna say I, that's probably more. Pro- your question was more primarily an, an American issue. Yeah, I absolutely. I, I'm not sure anywhere else in the world no. has that particular issue to deal with. But, Probably not. Um, they have their own issues to deal with. Yeah. So that's part of why, like, I told you guys, and I, maybe I'll, I will have kept it in because I, I don't know um, how much of the beginning I can save, but um, I'm not convinced that I will have a firearm in my life. And the re- mostly the reason is not because of, like, the whole self-defense thing, but because I don't know that I want to associate myself with that, with the impulse towards specifically guns as the solution right um i I, yeah i've just seen so much of that turn into like you know i'm packing at church and like i you know i want to show everybody my gun and like at church right like it's crazy like you know (laughs) well yeah but then go to a men's event everybody's bringing their well guns out and it's like what's happening right I've, i've known churches to have men Concealed carry on purpose at church in, oh, order, in, in, in that's order for threat. Yeah, for there, threat there's, threat. there's a question. So, the, yeah. yeah, I mean, there you go. First this. church I went to in Kentucky uh, when we got there, we arrived on a Sunday. And we we walk we I walked in in shorts and a t-shirt <laughs> into into our first service and yeah there was an armed guard at the door um, yeah as you walk we, we had police church. officers what is your initial reaction to that. My initial reaction yeah. was like, I guess we're really in the South. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's funny. But, but like, on, a, on an ethical level, like, wh- where does your heart go with that? Like, um, does it make you feel like this is, I'm glad? Does it make you feel like this is icky? I, I had mixed, I had mixed feelings, to be honest with you. Because on the one hand, um, 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm consistent with my belief for self-defense, and I think, you know, in the same way that we were talking about family, I think the church is extended family as well. And, yeah. and I think there is at the very least possibility that the church enters into persecution again. Is mm-hmm. the South there yet? Yeah. <laughs> um, probably not. <laughs> but, but even if it entered into it, uh, how much are we to try to escape persecution? Like to what extent? Yeah, At what point do we question. not? Yeah, right right now I'm mind. operating from a from a belief that if if an armed guard or if a man in a congregation stops a mass shooter from mowing down an entire church, yeah. I'm operating from the belief that that's a good thing. And which does seem to be a problem in America today as well. You, you can't really deny that, um, that the, there is mass shooting issues that we you, have to deal with. But, but, which is not even from a persecution basis. Yeah. Sure, but, but put, in, put the whole thing into equation. So it's not just sure. if a man in a church who's concealed carrying stops a mass shooting. Mm-hmm. It's if a man in a church kills another man who mm-hmm. comes into the church to mm-hmm. commit a mass shooting. Right, like I think we oftentimes try to sanitize the way that we approach. It's not just stops; it stops with lethal, lethal force. Right, stops right. with the um, with the same force that's being brought into the church. Right, right. So, but okay. So your problem isn't with self defense because of that. If the man in the congregation has rubber bullets and the person is not killed, you don't have a problem with that. No. Okay. So the problem no. is with the lethality of it. Yes. And, and the witness that that has for the church in general, right? Like what that what that says about the church, right? Yeah. Um, well, the church is going; they're in a lose lose situation with that, anyways, because if totally, absolutely, yeah, like if you don't, like we said, there's no ideals here. If, right? you, if you don't use lethality and you don't stop the shooter, then the church is going to be shamed for not uh, taking, protecting its right. people. Why don't you protect its people? Right. And then ultimately. <laughs> Yeah, we know that persecution will continue. So it, I mean, I don't know where I stand on this. At the end either. of the day, yeah, wouldn't it be better that people didn't die and and just take the criticism? One person yeah. dies. That's what oh. that that's what I'm trying so, to maintain yeah. here is that in, in this there is there is no deathless end, right? Yeah. Um. In this in this conversation, yeah. at least right now, it, 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 I think it is it is. Um, and man, I maybe it's just a weird sensitive bias. But I feel like if I am choosing I totally between the death of one right. person who's a believer and one person who's not a believer, I want to choose the death of the believer because, again, we know where they're headed. Now, if you then line that up and say, but is it is 30 believers' death worth one so unbeliever's death? it's the trolley problem. Right. Well, it's, it's, a, it's, it's like a, it's just a more complex version, yeah. Well, yeah, so, so it's a trolley problem, but you're weighing one unbelieving person versus... However many believing persons, right, right, and and it sounds like at too, what point does it cross the level? Well, I don't it know. It sounds like what you're saying is that there's no number of believers that justifies the killing of the unbeliever. That's what, that's what it sounds. I like. don't feel like that's right either. Well, that, that's but what I'm I, saying too. But I I think that the number is higher than like I, I will lean towards the believers. Yeah, how does taking that? Yeah, is it Sodom and Gomorrah? Is that the one? Oh yeah, the five. Yeah, if there are five yeah. righteous, or there's fifty righteous, or you know that whole thing. Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, I think that might come into play, but interesting. I, I think yeah. we should probably end, and I kind of want to end with my gag question. From All right, the, go ahead. From the beginning, yeah, yeah <laughs> which yeah. was, uh, should Christians own guns whatsoever, even if it's just to hunt animals and provide for the family? 
Um, I, I certainly wouldn't make any law against it. I think it's a matter of conscience. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can agree with that. And, and Nate gave it a thumbs up. Yeah. I think we answered that along the way. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, friends, thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Triclinium. This is a long one. This will probably be like an hour and 40 minutes when it's done. Yeah, probably. Um, maybe That's even fine. more. Uh, but this is a great conversation. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, this is a great one. This is what you get when we're all together. Yeah, seriously. Um, if you have any questions for us, go ahead and email us at uh, sophomorosofficial at gmail.com, S-O-P-H-O-M-O-R-O-S, official at gmail.com, and we'd love to get back to you. And as always, may Christ be exalted.